Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Laricchia, and this is episode number 209 of the podcast. It's the 8th of January, 2020, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a lovely conversation with Shan Burton. Shan is a writer, an unschooling mom with two teens, and a recent widow. She kindly joins me to talk about her unschooling life, how the idea of Lovely Chaos, her website name, came about, and how embracing unschooling healed her relationships and helped her family through the loss of their beloved husband and father. I'm so grateful that she agreed to join me and share so much of herself and their life. As a personal update, it's been nice to embrace my more regular routines this week. They feel comfy, yet also fresh, because of course, I'm also tweaking them to better reflect the learning and growing that I'm always doing. I just love playing around with that stuff. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all of my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes each and every week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Shan. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Shan Burton. Hi, Shan. Hi. <laughs> I have been connected with Shan online for many years. So when I got up the courage to reach out and ask her about coming on the podcast, I was thrilled when she said yes. So to get us started, Shan, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and what everybody's up to right now? Okay, well, right now, uh, Maya, who's 18, is walking the dog. Uh, Lisa's making me coffee. Literally right now. <laughs> Literally right now. Lisa's making me coffee in my favorite cup because she said she would, and she's awesome. Uh, but basically, Maya's 18. He just did his first house-sitting and dog-sitting gig, uh, which grew out of a family dog-sitting thing that we have been doing for a couple of clients because we needed someone for our dogs when we went to an unschooling camp out and it occurred to me hey I really love dogs maybe I could do this <laughs> and so the kids started coming along with me and uh, it's become kind of a family project where we have all these new dogs and cats that come along with them and horses <laughs> and chickens to watch and uh, it's really kind of cool uh, so he's also very interested in gaming. He just got, got us a switch, which I think will be delivered tomorrow. Uh, so that'll be a new thing for us. And, uh, he's into tech. He recently learned how to solder, uh, so he could fix gaming consoles. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he's still kind of, uh, working through what he wants to do, but he's pretty sure that he'd like to do a trade. He's thought about apprenticing as a locksmith, 
because he's been interested in that since he was quite little. And, uh, but he's kind of, you know, figuring things out, reading a lot of uh, Friendship is Magic fan fiction, and uh, just learned how to play magic. So that's a okay. new thing. Yeah. Too, that he's building a great deck. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Lisa's 15, almost 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. And she is into freedom and she's very artistic and has been her whole life, really. Uh, she's been involved in a over two year long fan fiction writing collaboration uh, with her girlfriend. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, a really cool thing that she will tell me about the plots and the subplots and when they decide to shift the whole thing back because it's gotten too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, they often both draw art that goes with the characters that they're doing, which is really kind of cool to see, you know, if I've heard about a character, then to see what, what they look like. Mm-hmm. So she's been trying to decide whether she wants to save up for a fursuit or make components of a fursuit. And she's been doing a lot of research around that and uh, a lot of artistic creativity, you know, involved with creating characters. And uh, she goes through spurts of doing more or less drawing, but uh, that's her thing. Oh, Maya's also been rereading the first Warriors series recently because, you know, he had some time where he was uh, house sitting where he couldn't gain so he decided that he'd go back and then he decided to get a library card, which he'd had years ago and hadn't used for a while, long enough that we weren't in the system anymore. <laughs> so he got a new card and then inquired about making a donation because he would like to see the lo- local library get the second series of Warriors books online because he doesn't like to read paper books. All right, so I'm 50. I write and deal in chaos. <laughs> And uh, I had been doing some freelance journaling, uh, covering local government meetings, board meetings, which was really very interesting. Uh, However, unfortunately, my editor's husband passed away rather suddenly, and uh, she decided that that wasn't something she was going to continue doing. So I've recently, I've had a friend for a few years who has been virtual assisting. Mm -hmm. And I was very fascinated when she talked about what she was doing. But she did a lot of design stuff, which I'm not really good at. So I thought, you know, this isn't really, really for me. But then I realized that uh, you can do a lot of writing-related stuff, related stuff, which I'm very good at. And every job I've ever had has been a direct service job. So I really like helping people like, and knowing I'm helping them. So I have started taking an online course to launch a virtual assistant career, figuring that I can start small now. And as Lise grows to adulthood, I can uh, ramp up as I like and do something that I can do on my schedule, which is often freakishly late at night, and help people and use the skills that I have wherever I happen to be, because I don't always want to be, you know, I certainly don't want to be in an office somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's... And it'll allow, yeah, it'll allow the spontaneity while I still have people living home who want to do things uh, to be able to do it when they want to. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I love I love the creativity and list. that's why I love this first question, finding out what, what people are up to uh, when I'm talking, because it's fascinating, all the different things and... 
not only the different things, but how they mesh well with where they are in their life in the moment, right? You know, it, yeah. it, it, uh, it's often uh, moving to unschooling also kind of weaves into our life bigger picture, I think, as we dive in yes. more, doesn't it? And we're not so mm -hmm. often looking for a corporate, you know, 30-year career. Right. Doesn't mean, you know, not corporate jobs or whatever, but not, you know, a forever thing. It, it's about right. how it meshes with our family in the moment and how it may change over time. So that's really interesting to hear about. I'm going to clean my glasses. I have dog drool on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you do that, I'm going to uh, go to the next question, which was, I'd love to hear how you discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling looked like. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it found us over and over again, as it turns out. Uh, mm -hmm. I always knew, before I even met my husband, I knew for since my early, early 20s that I wanted to homeschool. Uh, I didn't, I'd never heard about unschooling, but I had this idea that I would kind of create what we were going to do and we'd sit at the table, we'd do it, and we'd have a lot of free time. And it, that grew from the fact that I've always loved watching children learning, uh, particularly as they were learning to walk and talk and they were becoming, you know, moving from being, you know, being acted upon to being able to act in their world and show you who they were. I always loved that. So it occurred to me, you know, if I was going to raise a child for five years, then why would I want to let a teacher have all the fun of seeing that learning evolving and I would miss out and the teacher wouldn't even enjoy it as much because they'd have all these other kids. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to give that up. So I decided I would do it myself. Uh, fortunately, I married somebody who was willing to go along with that. Uh, uh, unfortunately for my homeschooling plans, hello, Miss Pitbull. Come here. Come here. This is the Pitbull. She just goes through doors. She doesn't, you know, they don't <laughs> stop. Right through just goes through. <laughs> so girls don't play on the bed. That's not what it's for. Okay. Uh, so I happen to have a firstborn who can smell an agenda 10 miles away and will go the other direction. Mm -hmm. And that was, so I made lessons as interesting as I could. We did things like we would uh, burn a piece of wood in the wood burning stove. And I would ask him to draw a picture of Abe Lincoln's log cabin, uh, which I thought was awesomely cool because he got to use a charred stick. But, it was an agenda and it wasn't his idea. And even at 18, Jeremiah does not like other people's ideas being imposed on him. Mm -hmm. So he, uh, he resisted mm -hmm. as was his way. And uh, I would get insistent. I would start yelling because I came from a very uh, abusive home life and didn't have a lot of good tools for dealing with that. He would cry. Our relationship was being affected, and it was just miserable. Uh, I had, during my research on homeschooling, I had happened upon Sandra Dodd's Moving a Puddle essay, which had been my favorite essay in the entire book. I just loved the essay and what it was saying, but it didn't really click until I was on a local homeschool group online and found a meetup for local people who were either radically unschooling or thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And there was some recommended research. It was at a really nice local state park. We were going to go do a hike along the creek. 
and I wanted to do the hike, so I did the reading, and I was really okay right from the start with all the academic stuff. Like, yes, yes, yes. And then I got to no chores, no bedtime, don't control what they eat. I'm like, these people are nuts. <laughs> I remember and, that moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, these people are just nuts. This is never, I remember saying that to Jim, these people are nuts. But I wanted to go on the hike. I went on the hike and I met the most self-possessed four-year-old child I have met in my entire life and had this fantastic conversation with her. And I thought, my kids were at the time six and three. And I thought, I want this for them. I want them to feel like they can just meet an adult's eyes and not feel like they are less than or they need to look to or be afraid or anything. I just want them to be able to be who they are. And in addition to my no agenda kid, I happen to have a spitfire kid, <laughs> you know, who is just big and expansive. And I call her a TARDIS because it's like she's more than one person packed into that body. And uh, she was just when she was little, she would be doing all these crazy things. And she was tiny when she was little. And people would look at her and say, look at that little girl doing that. And she'd say, it's OK, I'm a daredevil. <laughs> And that was, I wanted to put it on a shirt because she said it so much. And, uh, you know, so she was just bigger than everything. And Maya was resisting all the agendas. And so it took about another year before I really, you know, committed to it. But from that point on, I kind of was moving toward it. Unfortunately, starting was a very unlovely chaos because I let go of all the control and told the kids at great length what I was doing. And ended up with situations like 30 pieces of gum on the floor next to the TV where Maya fell asleep. <laughs> and it's just a lot of, uh, you know, the pendulum that had been very controlling just went wildly in the other direction. And it probably took about two years before it started to settle out. And those were not the easiest of two years. And I had, you know, really, if I could go back, I would have worked on learning how to manage my own emotions, which I could not do when we started. And that would have been much better because then I would have had at least some ability to manage myself, More which tone. I did not have started. And so dealing with a seven and four-year-old's big emotions while trying to deal with my own and the chaos and me needing more order than anyone else in my house needs was not a good recipe. So I really wish I had uh, taken more to heart the uh, Sandra Dodd uh, need a little try a little wait a while watch what? because that would have been so much better yeah. oh, <laughs> but we did I, eventually mellow out <laughs> yeah yeah no thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing you know the timeline as well because you know so often people worry and feel like they need to do things quickly right I need I need to get there but it it takes it takes the time that it takes. Like it took you about a year before you were ready and comfortable enough mm -hmm. to dive in. And then the pendulum swung and then trying to get that back was another couple yeah. of years. Um, so I think that is awesome. You know, that bit yeah. of information for people to see that, that this is, it's a commitment, right? You're, you're making a commitment to this. Um, and I love that, that piece too about, um, how looking back, it you realize that, and a lot of guests talk about that, how much of this is our work, 
right? Work for yeah. ourselves and to that self-awareness piece to get ourselves the, the tools that we need or that can be helpful to, to live this, this kind of lifestyle. Like, as you said, you didn't get a lot of this, didn't live this way growing up, right? So those weren't the tools that you had. <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, this way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and I actually was a lot more calm than good, I think, in those first few months. And, you know, and, and there was a lot of the kids saying, you remember when you were a mean mommy? And I had never thought I was a mean mommy. So that was very hard for me to deal with that, that phase of that. Fortunately, uh, Lise was four. She barely remembers now. And Maya doesn't remember it all, uh, and that's good because there were abusive incidents in his life, more than Lisa's, and I was very afraid that I had broken him, you know, in some of the ways I was broken. Mm -hmm. And so one of the hugest things unschooling has done for us is it gave me a way not to keep breaking my children. And I can just see that every day in them. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I have goosebumps. <laughs> It, it really is a choice to, to live a different kind of life, isn't it? It's like, oh. I know at first when you, you come across it, it's like homeschooling. Oh, it's a kind unschooling is a kind of homeschooling. And we're taking, we're looking at their schooling and, and their learning. But it, as you learn more about it, and I think that's the important piece when you decide um, that's a direction you'd like to take is to continue learning, right? Continue learning more about it about unschooling, how it works, ourselves, like the whole gamut, because it really becomes a full lifestyle, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. It's so much more than, I mean, the learning, it, and people say it, and I think if people aren't doing it, they don't really understand, and they think you're just being lazy about it. But the learning takes care of itself. That is so little a component of what we're doing, because I've got bright and curious kids. I had a bright and curious husband. I'm a bright and curious person we're always learning things, all of us, because we like it. I mean, it's not, it doesn't have to be a chore or any kind of an effort. It's really just a matter of allowing there to be resources so people can learn the things they want to learn and time for them to do it. And that, and the willingness to go places when needed. Uh, we're kind of introverts, so there's not a, a tremendous amount of going places, but, you know, being able to do that when that's what it needs you know, those are really the things that matter. But really, what's so much more important is just knowing each other and respecting each other and making room for each other. Because the learning, I mean, that just happens. That just happens. <laughs> yes, I, that's another great point that ties into the continuing to learn about unschooling. Because when someone comes to, first comes to unschooling, they're curious. They're like, well, how are they going to learn math? How are they going to learn history? You know, if I don't make them do all this, those are their first questions. And we, um, you know, more experienced unschooling parents, it isn't helpful at that point to say, oh, don't worry about the learning. It just happens, you know, yeah. because it doesn't make sense yet until yeah. <laughs> they keep learning about how unschooling works, how humans are curious, how humans naturally learn. When they start watching their kids without putting the agenda on top of it and watching them over time to see that they're always learning, that they're learning yeah. every moment, you know, that's, that's all part of that first yeah. year, isn't it? Yeah, I have a great story about early on. 
we decided uh, to take the kids to a local water park that was having like a winter midweek special. Uh -huh. uh, Jim found it and it was a, a decent price. We could go for half a day uh, for $20 a piece. Mm -hmm. And so we got the tickets. We told the kids we were taking them swimming at the Y. And we snuck a few extra, you know, changes clothes and everything into bags and told them we were going to the Y, loaded them in the car. And at some point, Maya's like, this isn't the way to the Y. We've gone too far. And so in the car, Jim is talking about how uh, he's he's okay with this unschooling thing, but he's a little worried about how, you know, are they going to know what four times two is? And not five minutes later, Maya asked, so when they had already realized this point where we were going and we had fessed up maya said so how much is this going to cost and i said oh the passes are twenty dollars a piece and he said oh so eighty dollars and i said okay there's your four times two question <laughs> are you okay with this <laughs> he's like okay i'm good <laughs> And at another point, Lise was playing with her uh, model horses, and she had four horses, and she said, oh, I have four horses. They all have four legs. That's 16 legs. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's just that easy how it works out, and you don't really think about it, about them learning it, because you don't see it, because it's internal, and then it pops out. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's the, when we talk about um, paying attention to our kids, and I, I talk about like observing them. I mean, mm -hmm. not just observing, well, you're engaging with them all the time, but noticing and paying attention yes. because that's when you see, because the learning is happening inside them, as you say, you have to notice when they say, hey, 16 legs or, oh, 80 right. bucks total. And you need that little moment of awareness to take that in and say, see, they're putting this stuff together. They're Particularly making particularly with some kids, like Jeremiah is a very private kind of guy. He's not secretive. He's just private. He doesn't think to mention what's going on inside of him a lot of the time because he just doesn't. And his dad was the same way. So it is really important. Um, it's important all the time because you know what? And then it's a skill. I think we have to learn at first often as mm -hmm. parents to pay attention and process and bring in what our kids are interested in, what they're talking about, mm -hmm. because then we know where their mind's at and we can right. bring the most interesting little pieces in for them, not something that we think they should know, but stuff that's actually yeah. meeting them where they are. That makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Yeah, it's lucky for me. It's the one lucky thing about living where I live. New York has a lot of homeschool regulations. It's kind of like the law was written as though if you're not sending your kids to school, you must be doing something criminal, and we're going to make sure you're not. Uh, so there's a lot of reporting requirements. And the good thing about it, although I curse it every time I have to do it, and I have one coming up, and I'm going to have to do it, and I've kind of been putting it off, and I'll grumble and groan when it's time to do it because it's the most boring writing I ever do. <laughs> and life is so interesting, and the writing about it is so dull. <laughs> uh, but because I have to continually, five times or more a year, translate what we're doing into school speak, I find that I'm, you know, routinely having to look at what was learned and keep my eyes open for what was learned. And it's particularly interesting as the kids get older, 
you know, as Maya was entering his last, if they finished the requirements, uh, he did the year before he was done needing to attend. So his last year, I called independent study, which was kind of hysterical because it was all independent study, but they didn't know that. But uh, I think Lisa's on target to do the same thing. This would be her sophomore year and she's pretty much taking care of half of her high school requirements uh and we'll probably finish them up this year uh by the way i report uh and have next year to do what she likes to do but because i have to continually you know look at what they were doing and put it into categories as they're older that gets a little trickier because a lot of what they're doing they're doing in their room or at their computers in the living room and Strangely, they don't like it if I stand there and look over their shoulders while they're using their computers. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> so I've actually had to ask, hey, will you send me a note every now and then about what you're doing so that uh, I, I kind of have an idea. So one day I came home and I learned that I, some things I had never learned, like buttercups are poisonous. I didn't know buttercups were poisonous. Uh, I also didn't know why they're shiny. But apparently they're shiny because of their cell structure, which I did not know. But she knew because she was researching it for her fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> and so okay. I really like that. <laughs> Why kids, they, they naturally will go research something if they're writing something and they want a good line because they've seen me doing that their whole lives. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. What are they and that's, that's, that's about the heart, the, you know, it's just taking your lives and putting it into education ease, into the right yes. words and into the right sections yes. and stuff. I call it so, school speak, you know, it's like the Orson Welles speak, it's school speak, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. I'm lucky now, though, because the school superintendent that I have to report to now graduated with me. So she's uh, known me, like, since kindergarten. <laughs> so, but that translates pretty well because she knew that I was, you know, reasonably smart in school. So it, she probably is not assuming that I am going to, you know, be neglectful of my kids' learning. So yeah. she kind of accepts everything, where the previous one was very tyrannical. And that led to a lot of me quoting the regs back at him because he was trying to force us to do things that were not required in the law. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just became uh, kind of a nightmare with that one. But then we got the new one, and I'm very happy with her. <laughs> well, and that's another another great piece to remind people as you're coming to unschooling is to read the recs for wherever you live, oh, yeah. <clears throat> right? So that you understand what the what the requirements are, so that you can meet them, and also so that you're not getting bullied or pushed around right. into doing more than than is needed as well, right? I started reading them when Maya was two. <laughs> and read them like every year. And now I read them at least once a year. And usually, again, at least in part while I'm doing the reporting so I can keep track of, you know, where we are in, a, uh, in relation to completion. And uh, Maya, of course, is done. But uh, Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean he's not learning, of course. It just means I don't have to record it anymore. I don't have to ask. I can wait for him to volunteer things instead of uh, asking him no. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a great point because his life didn't change at all from one day to the next, did it? You just stopped having to translate it. Yeah, that's the thing he's been saying about turning 18, too. He's like, oh, so I'm magically more responsible now than I was yesterday. And we've been having a lot of these conversations where he's like, you know, 
I could just get up and leave and you could do nothing about it. I'm like, well, except get my bank card back from you. That would be a thing I could do. And I'm like, I'm feeding you because there's no law that says I have to do that. And it's just very weird to us because, you know, it's not a question of whether I'm going to stop feeding him or him walking away. If he, when he decides that it's time to go, he's of course going to have full support to do that. But it's just a very weird thing. The uh, external this age and, and lisa and i were talking last night about the idea of a couple if one member of the couple is older as their teenagers and becomes the legal age of consent and the other one is not that there are some states where that can be a real problem where the day before it wouldn't have been a problem which is a very strange thing to both of us is that i kind of think consent should be more tied to whether you're developmentally ready to make a decision like that and where a 15 and a 16 year old or a 15 and an 18 year old maybe could consent, but a 15 year old and a 30 year old, you've got to think there's probably a lot more uh, ability for a 30 year old to coerce and, and groom and, you know, kind of talk someone into or manipulate. And that would be, I think, a little more worrisome where if it's somebody they had known who just suddenly became an arbitrary age, I'm not sure, you know, those things are weird to me. Yeah. Yeah, and those are the kinds of conversations that come up in unschooling homes, aren't they? And and go, yeah, no, exactly. That's the that's part of the relationships that you know we're choosing to develop, and and the connection and the trust, right? That level of trust to to be able to have those kinds of conversations without anyone feeling judged. <laughs> I'm sorry. She sounds like she's trying to kill the other dog. <laughs> but they're having fun, right? Like that, and then they'll fall asleep together. So it's funny because the, uh, the lab is much more talkative. But Noli, the pit bull, is, you know, she's very quiet normally. But when they play, she sounds like a stereotypical pit bull. Like she's just going to try to kill. But we've had the puppy since she was five weeks old. Oh, and wow. this one would cover her teeth and hold her mouth open so she wouldn't hurt the puppy when they play. And this this lab is 10 pounds heavier than her now. And she's grabbing her by the legs and the back of the neck and dragging her around. And she never even puts her teeth on her. <laughs> but she makes a lot of noise. <laughs> This probably is a great lead into the next question because I love that your online presence is, is totally woven around the idea of lovely <laughs> chaos, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'd love to hear how that came about and what that means to you. Well, it's a, it's a funny story how it came about. It's kind of a totally not an unschooling story, but I was uh, taking a course on uh, blogging branding for writers and one of the assignments was to create a word cloud mm -hmm. uh, with words about you or your life or whatever and uh, the person running the uh, course would take these and put them into a generator which would pop out some potential taglines for your blog oh. and I don't even remember what the other choices were but the second I saw Lovely Chaos, I'm like, wow, that's not just a tagline. That is my life. That has <laughs> been my entire life. That is my life. I can't imagine that wouldn't be my life. And so I ran with it. I made it not the tagline. I made it the title 
yeah. of my blog. I made it the title of my website, and I basically just started embracing it in my life wherever uh, wherever it might happen to be, and it actually made life easier. And it was kind of a thing where I had a, a moment some years ago, I would get like I said, I need more order than the people I live with. And Jim, I've come to realize, going through things after his death, if he wasn't a hoarder, he was one step below a hoarder. He was a wonderful man, but he, he was not. <laughs> uh, so the house would often be just in total disarray when the kids were young and moving from this thing to that thing and combining this thing with that thing. And as I mentioned, I have an expansive child. So if she was going to do watercolor, she wasn't going to do one watercolor. She was going to do 25 watercolors all yeah. in a row. And then maybe line them up on the living room floor. <laughs> and in the meantime, Maya would be making a machine over here. And the machine would get all expansive. And it just, you know, it was just chaos most of the time. But I went out into our garage where we kept our firewood and came back in with the firewood and saw the living room from the angle at the other end. Our living room is long and narrow. So, you know, it just was a whole different view on it. And I looked at it, I'm like, this isn't a mess, it's a yes. It was me being able to say yes to the things that they, hi Smokey, that they wanted to do. And then I realized that it took like nine minutes. I think I blogged about this years and years back, that it took like nine minutes to clean up the living room to a point where I could live with it. And I had gone through years and years and years of angst, and sometimes still do, over nine minutes. And so these things kind of work together with the whole lovely chaos thing. And, and now I just kind of, I think I'm more likely to be able to take things as they come, laugh at them, like dogs wrestling on the bed when they shouldn't be wrestling on the bed. <laughs> shouldn't be wrestling on the bed, but they know that my back is turned and yeah. nobody room and so they can get away with it uh, you know that kind of thing and just be able to accept the chaos that that happens and kind of celebrate it as yeah this is life and life can get crazy and messy and weird but isn't it cool <laughs> That's a, I just love the juxtaposition of lovely and chaos because so often when you hear the word chaos, right, nobody yeah. thinks about it positively. And that story you shared is just, just a beautiful description of that, right? That little shift. When I see lovely chaos, it's like it just reminds me to take that moment to shift. And it's like, oh, hey, look, look at this from another perspective. And see what else you can see, right? It's not about faking yourself into it or anything like that, but it's about really bringing, opening your eyes and seeing it from another perspective. Maybe seeing it, I often talk about seeing things from through our kids' eyes, right? And how different it looks to them. It doesn't, it's not about the mess, you know, but it's about the, the watercolor exploration, or figuring yeah. out the motor, you know, and then the realization that, oh, you know, the nine minutes, it really doesn't take to, because it doesn't mean ignoring ourselves either. They right. can have that piece and you can tidy it up enough, you know, when they're, when they're finished or, or are happy with to shift it such that it also uh, meets your needs in yeah, as well, they right? When they were little, you know, they slept sometimes. So I could, <laughs> and you know, 
it was hard for a long time because I had been so horrible about cleaning up that for a long time there was no willingness to help me do that. Yeah. So that was me. I shot myself in the foot and uh, had to live with it for a long time. But the funny thing is that now I see that kind of Jim was, because he was not tidy, and that was something we would argue about, uh, things are tidier now than they were when there were two adults around to do the things. Uh, and there are two adults, but, you know, Maya is not, you know, I, I don't, I, that was a thing. He was already a large guy when Jim got sick. So I had to work very hard not to put him in an adult role because he mm -hmm. was 16. Yeah. And I wanted to be sure he got to have the rest of his childhood, even though he had already told me that he hadn't felt like a kid for about a year at that point. But I, I wanted to honor his freedom. But he has really, you know, kind of stepped up into a lot of things. And Lise now has started to notice when things need to be taken care of and, and be more willing to help take care of them. And I think we all gravitate towards liking things tidier than Jim did. So there's still like, there's lovely chaos. I've got, my room is in the middle of my room. It's pretty nice. Uh, I've got my, my workstation here. My bed is really pretty. I've got, you know, furniture I like, and I've changed a lot of things around in my room to make them more personal. But my ceiling and my floor are not great. <laughs> And so I, you know, I'm like, okay, I have plans, but there's other things that have to happen first. Yeah. And the other things, like we have ceilings that are, that have uh, collapsed in a couple of places because our roof leaked for years and we couldn't afford to get it fixed. And Jim would go up and he would patch the roof and it was a whole cycle. He actually patched the roof one time after he was diagnosed mm -hmm. and was just up on the roof, working on the roof. Oh. Uh, we were finally able to use some of the life insurance money to get a new roof, but the ceilings, and so the ceilings waited until the roof was done because you can't fix your ceilings if your roof leaks. There's no yeah. point for that. Yeah. But, uh, so it became, you know, a, a waiting game. And now there have been other things that have taken precedence and eventually we'll get all of these things done, but you have to decide what you're going to do. You have to decide how you're going to do it. If you're going to do it yourself or have somebody else do it what it's going to look like when you're going to fit it in and so i just kind of look at it as okay lovely chaos is the, the roof and ceiling in my room not a big deal uh the floor not a big deal there's other places that need more attention so i'll focus on the part i can do and let the chaos part be and try to make some loveliness in the middle of the space yeah. <laughs> literally in this case in the middle of the space <laughs> That's so true. And, and that's the whole thing really about priorities, right? Just talking, just thinking it to ourselves, talking with our kids, spouse, like whoever's in our family mix. Our, my dad lives with us as well. You know, it's just figuring out the, and the priorities change over time, can change over time too, right? As different things come up. But the lovely piece is knowing that in the moment, it, it's all good, right? Yeah. I mean, you're there, you're doing your things, and, <laughs> and to not to not take it on as weight that you have to carry with you every moment. Right. House right. Beautiful is not coming here, and the uh, fashion police are not coming here, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, you've uh, mentioned Jim already, and I was very sorry to hear of his passing last year. 
And I can only imagine how much that shook your family's world and how that continues to weave through your days, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you've been speaking about, about that. And you mentioned before our call how you found that unschooling principles were really helpful during that time when he was sick. Um, and I'd love to hear more about your experience with that. Yeah, there's so much. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could possibly like put into language all the ways I think unschooling has helped. But one of the big ones for me is that because of unschooling, I was able to understand the difference between pain, which is the thing that happens that you don't want to happen and is going to hurt, and suffering, which is telling yourself the stories about how it's not fair, it's not right, this is so horrible, this has shattered my entire world. Uh, so I made a decision that I was, and I made this decision a long time ago, but I applied it here too, that I wasn't going to live in suffering that I had over 20 years to be married to my very best friend. My, uh, We promised each other when we got married to be one another's accomplice in mischief. And we have totally, yeah, we totally did that. We traveled, <laughs> he was from Oregon. I was from upstate New York and we met at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> uh, and we lived in the Everglades. We lived in Yellowstone. Uh, Jeremiah was born in Montana. And we lived in Oregon, where he was from. We drove across the country three times, the last time with a nursing newborn. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't anybody, horrible. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to them. It's terrible. <laughs> but uh, we had four years of adventure before we had children. We had so, so much fun as a family. He was a connected dad. He gave me these amazing, two amazing living children and another child who lived 12 days. Uh, just, we had, you know, we had things that we were going to fight about forever if he had lived. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably true in every long-lasting relationship that there's going to be the things. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the things that I've done is by trying to look for possibilities and positives rather than the negatives is... I don't have to have those arguments anymore. And that's nice. It's nice to be able to remember him with love and not have to argue with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so another aspect of that was it was very, very difficult because Jim was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer on November 13th, wanted to die at home and died on January 12th. That's a really short window of time during which, uh, his first day of chemo, he had a heart attack, spent 10 days in the hospital, and that was his last day of chemo. He came home on hospice after that and declined very, very quickly after the end of that visit in December. Mm -hmm. So it was a very strong balancing act for me as I became more of a caretaker, and he became less lucid uh, and taking care of two children. Lise was close to her dad her entire life. Maya and Jim had kind of the guy relationship. They'd watch a show, they'd talk in monosyllables, they didn't get deep, they got along great, but they got along great in the guy way. Yeah. Lise and Jim were different. Uh, Maya and I have a similar temperament. Lise and Jim had a similar temperament. And from the day she was born, they were tight. Uh, she got along better with him than she does with me. Uh, they were fishing buddies. They were cooking buddies. They were just buddies. They watched shark movies together. You know, they just, they often would get up earlier in the morning than Maya or I would 
and they'd hang out. They'd watch game shows, they'd watch movies, they'd do whatever and hang out together. He brought her home a set of tools with lavender handles and a lavender bag because she liked fixing things. And they were real tools, but they were, you know, in her favorite color because he knew she liked pretty things. Uh, he bought her this unicorn dress she wore for years and years and years because they were out together somewhere and she saw it and it was $8. And so he bought it for her. And she wore it first as a long dress and then a shorter dress and then a tunic and then just a shirt. And then she finally just couldn't fit into it anymore and was heartbroken. <laughs> but they had this great lifelong history and she was 13 when he died. That's a hard age for a girl anyway. And she had recently identified as bisexual, which makes it even a little harder because that's, you know, adds a whole other layer with what the world might think about that. Yeah. Uh, and so that was difficult for her. And she started withdrawing from Jim. And I noticed this. And so where a traditional parent might have said, look, you better spend time with him now because you're going to run out of it. Uh, I just said to her, my concern is that you're going to maybe regret after and you won't be able to go back and do anything about it. And what she said to me was very profound. And I think if I had been a more traditional parent, I would have probably argued with her, but she was so right. She said, dad is stopping being human. And I hang out with him, but he doesn't even notice I'm there. And that's just too sad. Mm -hmm. And so she was pulling away to protect herself as best she could from seeing, you know, her buddy, her pal, uh, this very important person in her life declining. And another thing that, that I did, and we've had these horribly weird conversations where we kind of became in a limbo state where we were home and Jim had fallen at one point and then I didn't want to leave him. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of staying home or very close to home or leaving somebody home with him so that he wouldn't be all by himself. And the kids both asked me, when can we go see our friends? Lisa's closest friend lived about 45 minutes away. Maya's two closest friends live in Pennsylvania. We're in upstate New York. So that's a good five-hour drive to get to his buddies. Mm -hmm. And I had to tell them, while Jim was in the room, honestly, not until Dad dies. And that is such a weird sentence to say. Yeah. I mean, that is incredibly weird. And, and then I just immediately turned to him and said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he said, but it's true. And so he made it easier, probably because of unschooling, because he was very kind of aware. And I think it, it helped him to know we were going to go on and be okay after him. And it helped me because he wasn't like, how dare you say something like that? And it helped the kids when the answer was not until dad dies, and we can't give you a definitive time on that, uh, to know that I had been on their side, helping them do the things they wanted to do and get the things they wanted to have for so many years at that point that they knew that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting them off by saying that. That was just the honest truth of that moment. And that was all it could be. And honestly, within two weeks at the time he died, they had both gotten the chance to see their friends. Mm -hmm. Because I really meant it when I said that. Uh, even the trip to Pennsylvania, uh, we worked out so that that could happen for him. Uh, but it also surrounded the way Jim died, you know, the, the hospice. He died in our bed because that's what he always said he wanted to do. So we honored his wishes. 
uh, I asked the kids if they would want to have time with him after he died. And Maya said that yes, he would. So he had a few private minutes to spend. Lee said she would not. And again, she said, I'm too young to have my innocence ruined by seeing a dead body, especially when it's my dad. Uh, I want to remember him the way he used to be. I don't want to remember this. So she didn't. And by mutual consent, all four of us, we decided that there wasn't going to be a funeral or a memorial service because we didn't want that. So he died about 1040, somewhere between 1015 and 1045 on a Friday night. Yes, a Friday night. And the kids and I just sat on the big bed where he had died and hung out for several hours just talking and trying to get our lives in order and i think not having the funeral or the memorial really helped with that i mean maya went with me to the funeral home the next day to make the arrangements to for cremation and that helped because i'm not sure how much i would have remembered if there hadn't been somebody else there to back me up Mm -hmm. uh but we kind of just worked it through that way did what we felt was right for us we sent most of his ashes back to oregon for his family to bury on his dad's property which he had always loved and dreamed of living on uh and we kept silly we kept a few uh because lisa and i found these turtle earrings jim had had an ear pierced and he had bought turtle earrings because he used to walk through the house saying turtle we don't know why he just did uh and so he bought these little turtle earrings and he never got around to wearing them so we thought that eventually we will have those turned into lo- our little lockets with a bit of his ashes for her and for, for me uh and we also have a tree in our front yard where our uh, middle child's ashes are buried and we thought we would put some of the ashes there with elijah's so that they could kind of be together that way but we haven't done that yet <laughs> We just, uh, I, I don't know, I'm not sure it's particularly meaningful right now to us to do that. And right now there's 18 inches of snow out there. So that'd be kind of uh, difficult. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so not doing the funeral seemed to help us kind of recenter. And Jim was a chef. He worked weekends. He worked late at night. So most of the events and activities that we did, I took the kids to. We traveled together. So we became really good at the three of us traveling around to, you know, we're in the Northeast and most of the unschoolers are kind of far flung. So we would travel, you know, to Massachusetts or Pennsylvania to go hang out with other unschoolers. And we kind of got good at doing that. So that helped a lot too, because we were already a cohesive unit of three where Jim kind of came and went and was the person who brought home the money and the food. Uh, (laughs) But we were able, you know, the three of us were able to quickly kind of form that cohesive unit and it's not like every minute still every minute it's been almost two years and almost every minute i come up against something that i have to figure out that i wouldn't have had to figure out like on monday we got 18 and a half inches of snow over you know for two days we got a ton of snow it was ridiculous and it was the first really big snowstorm i had been in charge of figuring out how we were going to get dug out and we had to go do dog tending for one of our clients on Tuesday. So we had to get dug out. Yeah. So it was three people, two shovels, two and a half hours, where Jim probably would have just taken it over. and I wouldn't have had to go out and do any of it. 
but it was kind of fun. We laughed, we fell in the snow, you know, it was, uh, there was a ridiculous amount of snow. <laughs> and it was just laughable how much of it there was. So what can you do but laugh at it? Because there's that much snow. And we had been thinking about getting a snowblower, but we had just hadn't found the funds to do it or decided to look at one. And Maya's like, man, I could really have used that snowblower. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe by next year, we probably won't get any snow. <laughs> and just, it was fun. So the other thing that has come of it is that, you know, the, the seeing possibilities, the choosing to see the things that have been gained. Like, I didn't ask, and I wouldn't have chosen this life, but I'm single, and I don't have to answer to anyone as a partner for what I choose to do in my life. It's a very interesting feeling not to have to do that, to mm -hmm. feel like, um, and, and I already knew I was on a threshold where the kids were growing up and they were going to become adults and they were going to be responsible for themselves and move into their own lives. And unlike a lot of people, you know, I've never really felt like a need that I wanted to keep them young. I feel like the point is that you raise them and I've enjoyed every age they've been. And I really love the revelation of the, these adult people they're becoming or have become. It's very cool to me. And I love that the way our friendship has evolved as they get older. But at the same time, you know, I knew there was that threshold. So another threshold just kind of came into my life. And so I feel like I'm in this really interesting, and at first it was very weird, middle ground, where I suddenly became a widow, which is still a word I have a hard time applying to myself, but it's, you know, that's the reality. And I'm not really looking for any kind of a relationship, certainly not before Lisa's 18, because I don't think that's a focus I could shift. But so i have this this time to kind of figure out where i am and because lisa's almost you know she's nearly 15 and a half she'll be 15 and a half next month so she's getting closer to 16. maya is 18. they don't need me the way they did need me uh they need me to get them places because maya has a permit not a, not a license so he still needs me in the car and lisa needs me to drive her but uh other than that and for like the money stuff and just you know me as a person and you know their backup they don't need me like they did when they were young so i have kind of a lot of time now to do things and figure things out and then i will have a lot more in a few years and it's kind of been like this magical figure out what i want to do which is where the virtual assisting and uh, freelance writing and maya would go to the meetings with me when i went to the meetings which was really cool because he went only because he enjoyed them which you know that's not something you give a lot <laughs> oh yeah oh well, that's thank you very much for for sharing i mean that yeah. is it's a really um wonderful look at the family dynamics that come um through unschooling right that that focus on self-awareness on understanding ourselves like that Lise could say what she needed and even explain what, what she needed in those moments is awesome. And that you were supportive and totally respect respectful of that. You know, just those stories are, are wonderful examples of the kind of lives that we're building, right, through unschooling. So I think that The dogs even came from unschooling. Uh, the, the dogs came as a result of Jim dying. Uh, Lisa wanted a puppy for years because our previous dog had passed away a couple of years before Jim did. And he was such a good dog. We just didn't, you know, we didn't rush to get another dog. 
And Jim had asked me when he was sick, do you think he'll get another dog after I die? And I said, oh, no, no, no. Uh, the liberation of not having a dog, not having to worry about a dog when we travel, is just amazing, and I don't want to do that. But Lisa had wanted a puppy for a long time, and it became obvious that she would need something uh, to kind of, you know, cushion that, that void in her life. Mm -hmm. And not to say that a puppy is ever going to replace her father, but uh, we found a puppy, and got the puppy but at the same time i kept finding myself turning around in bed to say something to somebody who wasn't there mm -hmm. and charlotte ray was actually the reason charlotte ray from the facts of life uh, i found out she had been on car 54 where are you as somebody's wife and that she had done stand-up comedy in the 50s when women really didn't do that and she was hysterical <laughs> and i turned around to say that to jim because that was exactly the kind of thing we would have shared with one another and gotten a kick out of together, and he was not there. And I thought, I need somebody in this bed with me. There has to be somebody, so that if I turn around to say something, I'm not saying it to air. Mm -hmm. And we had cats, but, you know, cats are cats. They, they're they not that interested in being there. If you want them there, they're there if they want to be there. Uh, and the kids, you know, were both older and didn't need to be in the bed with me or filling my emotional needs. Yeah. So it wasn't going to be a person because I didn't, there was no interest at all in bringing another person in. So I decided I needed a dog too. So I adopted an adult dog. Uh, I went to the shelter and asked for a pit bull because our previous dog had been part pit bull and a fantastic dog with the kids. And I know there's tons of them at shelters uh, because they have a bad rap. And so I went and asked for one that could get along with cats. And within two minutes, we were in love with each other. Aww. So she came home with me. And that was the same week the puppy was born. <sighs> and she belonged to a friend. We, went, we spent a 13-hour day when we went to pick up that puppy. Oh. Because she was in a, a faraway town. But she was the puppy of a cousin of a good friend of mine. And Lise picked her out when she was two days old. <laughs> so we brought her home at five weeks because she would have gone to the Humane Society the next day if we hadn't brought her home at that age. So we brought her home and she's been with us ever since. And they add so much hilarity and they give us, you know, we have to go walk them. We have to make sure they have food and water. They need a lot of affection because they're dogs and not cats. And they have added a lot of hilarity to our lives. They've added a lot of chaos. Smoking has eaten part of every room in the house, I think literally eaten floors and walls and things. Wow. And I, I like to say it's a sign of who we are that not only do we still keep her, we actually love her and find her charming and endearing, even though she's eating our house. Not so much now. She's almost two. She doesn't eat the house as much now. <laughs> but she did chew a hole in my bedroom floor under my bed, and I thought she had a toy under there. And then it got very cold last winter, and I found that there was a hole in my floor oh. that she had chewed. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of not the loveliest of chaos, but she's, you know, her name is Smokey. I like to say she should have been named Loki. That would have been a better name. Uh, but at any rate, you know, adding the dogs was like, that was a big thing and not something I expected to do, but it turned out to be exactly what we needed. And Maya didn't adopt a dog, but he loves the dogs. And he and Noli, my dog in particular, have developed a strong bond with one another. So she likes to go for a long walk with him most days. And uh, so that, that turned out to be another kind of, you know, being able to see that taking that on would be a good thing, maybe came from unschooling as well. 
Yeah, no, I think that's that that is another big piece, right? Is 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 being open to doing different things and yeah. and being willing to take that step and not being um judgmental of ourselves previously. You know what I mean? Yeah. As in, no, I said I wasn't gonna get another dog, so I'm not going to do that. I just picture, you know, I don't really believe in the after and an afterlife, but if there was one, I can just imagine Jim laughing at laughing, me. Laughing, yeah. And I'm with the dogs. <laughs> you did it to yourself. <laughs> and he would totally say that. You know you did that to yourself. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Now, you mentioned my turning 18, and I saw a comment that you made recently on your blog that I wanted to chat about, which was how one of your goals is to stop saying the kids um, as you're refer- referencing your children as adults. And that struck me too, because with my kids, they're all in their 20s now, and I've been feeling a bit uncomfortable for a while about using that phrase, but it's it's hard, like trying to come up with something else to use. But anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Well, for what to use, uh, it kind of came a little bit from Lise because several years ago, she informed me I'm her spawn point. Uh, (laughs) Well, like in Minecraft, I'm her spawn point. Uh, So I thought about it. I could call them subunits like they, uh, like a Seven of Nine does on uh, Voyager, but uh, I'm not quite comfortable with them being subs. So I decided to call them the offspring or the offsprung if I'm feeling more playful because <laughs> they kind of you know, sprung from me. But they, you know, but it comes from that my parents, uh, my mother passed away this summer. We, I've been estranged from my parents. They live very close to us, but I have been estranged from them for, for many years. And uh, because of the way I was raised and because it was becoming toxic for my family. Uh, I did try to maintain a relationship between them and my children to the point they wanted it. You know, it wasn't about what my parents wanted. It was about what Maya and Lise wanted and were comfortable with. And as they got older, they kind of stopped interacting as much because it, Maya would say things like, I go and it's an hour of me trying to have a conversation. And that became like just too much work to do. But my parents had a theory Adults were always superior to children, and parents were always superior to their offspring, which led to the abuses of my childhood continuing to a lesser degree into my adulthood, and it taking me until after I was 40 to really start to realize this dynamic that had always existed, and that in my parents' reality, it was my job to relate with them. It wasn't really their job to give back any more than they chose to. They would give back in the way they chose. They would buy gifts for me that didn't suit who I was. They would, you know, want me to live in ways that suited them. Uh, For a quick example, uh, my mother had always said she would never change my children if I didn't put them in cloth diapers. So when Maya was born, they had cloth diapers, but they had come out with the covers, with the Velcro. And I didn't like the idea of sticking pins near my child. I'm not that adept with my fingers, and I didn't want to stick it. So I used those with rubber pants, and my mother said she would not change them because she didn't want to figure out how the Velcro covers work. Now, if you've ever seen those, they're ridiculously easy. You know, you 
put the thing out, you it's like a Y. You just pull it up and then you fasten it over and it's not difficult. But she wouldn't change him. And then Lise was born. And Lise was born with really sensitive skin that she still has. And for some reason, every time we put her in cotton diapers, she would just develop a horrible rash. So she wore disposable diapers because they didn't give her a rash. And my mother had all kinds of judgments to make about the disposable diapers. Uh, so in her mind, it would have been better to stick pins in my older child and give my younger child rashes so I could meet her needs. And that was the kind of dynamic that existed always with my parents to the point where when I was 40, my father came up to me and put his finger against my tooth to uh, make a point that he was yelling at me. And that was the moment where something clicked and I said, this is not right. This has never been right. Uh, this can't happen. And I think from that idea of them thinking that they still had the right to do that when I was 40 because they were my parents came the idea that I don't want to confuse my adult children as kids because that it sets up a different dynamic. Even if you're unschooling, if you're the adult and you have kids, you are responsible for their well-being and their welfare, and you have legal obligations that you have to meet and moral obligations that you have to meet for them. But when they become adults, it's a different relationship. You're kind of cohabiting. Uh, you're more roommates, and I, I'm still mom as backup. I'm still mom when he needs me. I still feed him. I still do his laundry. And uh, I still, you know, take care of making sure we have good internet. And I don't tell him he has to pay for his share of it or anything like that. So, but it's now voluntary. And as I've said to both of them, when they are adults, we can all continue to, you know, they can stay as long as they like, as long as we're all happy. And of course, the parameters for what makes me happy will be a little different if you're 20, then they would be if you were 13. You know, I, I, you know, if you're sitting around waiting for me to do all of the things all of the time when you're 20, I'm going to feel a little bit like this is an inequitable arrangement for everybody. Uh, but Maya carries things. He will go do the grocery shopping. Uh, I pay for the groceries, but he does the shopping because he says, honestly, mom, you're not as good at it as I am. <laughs> and he's right. So he does it. He's, he's a guy. He goes shop. When he goes shopping, he goes to buy the things. When I go shopping, I'm always thinking, oh, this could be good for, and then my, my wide angle brain goes out and thinks about all the things it could be good for. And I end up, you know, even if I don't come home with anything that wasn't on the list, I have looked at at least a dozen things that were not on the list and considered them. And so I can see his point. He's also more analytical than I am. And he has a plan for getting through the store quickly, which I don't have. So uh, we all make the list and then he often will go do the list and then he'll bring the groceries in because he's six foot three. It's kind of easy for him to do lifting stuff. Okay. And when I need to move things, if I'm rearranging my room or rearranging an area of the house, he not only has the big muscles and the bra, but he has kind of a physics oriented brain where he can see the space, what will fit where, and he can figure out how, what angles you need to move things at and how much force to apply to them to get them where they need to go, which is really cool to me because I don't have any of that. <laughs> and so I used to watch him when he was eight play a game called crayon physics. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's basically there's a ball and a star and you have to move the ball to the star by drawing things. And there was one particular challenge where the ball is on one side and there's a ravine with a Jeep overturned. 
And I'm looking at that and thinking, I could spend all day and I would not know what to do. And as I'm thinking this, literally, he draws a lever and he starts dropping rocks on it. And in 20 seconds, he's flipped the jeep out of the ravine. I'm like, how did he know how to do that? That is so amazing to me. But his brain just can see it. You know, he didn't he didn't even need necessarily to understand the the theories behind what he was doing. He just knew what he needed to do and he did it. And so he's very good that way. Um, I think I lost track. Oh, so <sighs> the adult thing. So, you know, calling him a kid when he's legally an adult is kind of continuing to have that. I'm the parent. You're the kid. I'm responsible. You are less so rather than giving him the full agency now that he's entitled to under the law for his own life, where he says, yeah, I could just walk away. And I say, yeah, that's true. Don't take the bank card or the car keys. <laughs> uh, but, you know. Yeah. So that, it, yeah, so, but it's very ingrained. So it's very hard and I keep yeah. catching myself. And it's kind of like going way back, learning not to say teach. It's kind of the same issue as when I was learning how not to think in terms of teaching and learning, but just learning. Uh, and the funny thing is, the other day I was telling telling him something, we were having a conversation, and I kept stumbling, trying not to say the kids, or you kids, or something like my kids, and after the third stumble, he's like, Mom, why don't you just say what you're thinking instead of trying to come up with something different? So the funny thing is, it doesn't bother him. It only bothers me. <laughs> That's a great point, too. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Because, you know, I, I haven't actually asked them. But for me, um, it, that, that's really what it is, is the dynamic. It just feels, because often when I use the term, it's when I'm talking uh, about them to other people, right? And it just right, right. feels a little disrespectful, like, it, especially, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking to people with a more conventional mindset, you know, when there is always that power dynamic in the parent-child relationships, right? And uh -huh. when I was out there doing things with them and having, you know, conversations with parents and they were right there at karate or girl guides or whatever uh -huh. it is they were doing, you know, it was easier to plant that seed of, of that more connected and respectful relationship by, by yeah, asking right. them, you know, what are, what are the kids up to? Oh, he's doing this or she's doing this. Right, or, right. you know, do, or do, you, do they want to do this? And I would say, hey, Mike, is that something you want to do? Like ask them, bring them in all the uh -huh. time into the conversation. But now they're more out and about and you're talking about what, right. what are the kids up to and, and that kind of stuff. And it just feels um, – it it feels like you still got that power dynamic in it. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, I am having a little more of a challenge. I'll have to try offspring. That's that's not yeah. a common word in my language. <laughs> in my vocabulary, that's the right word. Right. In my vocabulary. So that might be a new <laughs> and that could bring up a whole conversation. Like, why are you yeah. calling them that? <laughs> I'm fortunate in having a son and a daughter. That that helps because with just one of each, yeah. Then if I say my son is uh, anybody who knows me knows you know knows who I'm talking about, and if I say my daughter is anybody who knows me knows who I'm talking about. 
So I think it does uh, get a little trickier in situations like yours where you have more than one child yeah. and what like her adult, you know, offspring. <laughs> I just did it. <laughs> she's not. She's just being yes, smoky. She okay, she's infuriating, but she's smoking. <laughs> well, here we go. We we're at the last question now. Uh, and I'm. I would love to know what you love most about having chosen to embrace unschooling all those years ago. What is it that oh you love God. most about unschooling? The peace and the joy. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a house where what peace? Lisa says what peace? <laughs> Chaos. The smoky peace. The smoky peace. <laughs> <laughs> Does she not? Don't let her knock you down again. No. Oh, you can't wrestle with Nova. You can't. You can't <laughs> wrestle with okay. Pitbull. Okay, Jeremiah no. can pick this dog up when she's got the rope toy and, and move her because she will not let go of the toy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the, the, the peace and the joy. I grew up in a house where there was yelling and humiliation, intentional humiliation by parents mm -hmm. and sibling rivalry that was encouraged and hitting every single day. Every single day. Somebody was getting hit. Somebody was screaming. Somebody was, you know, my mother had humiliating nicknames for every one of her kids. My older brother was the scapegoat. Uh, and she would literally, she would get up. Some days we'd get up and she'd say, it's picking on so-and-so day. And wow. basically, the, the deal. And she was horribly abused as a child, and she just didn't move beyond that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a very chaotic environment, and I didn't realize how much I needed peace until I had it. And when I had it in my own life, and and got you know kind of an amount of mastery over my own emotional state, and created an environment where. It's noisy. It's often noisy. It's usually messy, but it's peaceful. We like each other here. I like you. You know that, right? I like you. There's so many dogs. There are so many dogs, like 87 dogs right now. There are 87 dogs in our house right now in two bodies. It's okay. Let them be on the bed if they want to be. They, I can deal with that later. It's not a big deal. Uh, well, okay, that's a bad place to be. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway. Peace uh, and joy. Yeah, it, it's, it's lovely, peaceful. Right? It's, it's happy. Right. Even when we disagree with each other, I, I like to think of it as it's like a, a single storm cloud. It comes through. It does its thing. We work through it. We figure out a better way. And, of course, you know, Lisa's 15. There's a lot of angst that goes with being 15 anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of a weird in-between. You can really see adulthood. Like when Maya turned 18, that freaked her out. She's like, oh my God, I'm next. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> and I'm like, but you don't have to be ready for this. You're 15. But, you know, at 15, you can't go back and pretend. I think like at 14, you can still kind of pretend that it's not coming up. But at 15, you can't do that anymore. It's, it's right there. And it's in your face. And it's scary. And so there's a lot of angst, and she and I having different temperaments. Sometimes we kind of, you know, get at each other a little bit. And being able to back off and find a place of peace and laugh, picking the pictures for the, uh, you know, for you to add to the transcript. We had so much fun doing that. 
we laughed for like two hours going to pictures. And I know we gave you probably way more than you can use. But oh, we just they're amazing. Really I was just looking through them. They're wonderful. <laughs> we couldn't do it down any more than that. And uh, we just had so much fun. I mean, it was, it was remembering Jim, the picture of her and Jim on the beach. She said, we have to include that. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what she was telling him, but the poses are just so fantastic. And that really encapsulate, encapsulates their relationship, the connection they always have. That she was this itty bitty thing, and he was this great big guy just like paying attention to what she had to say, whatever that was. Uh, and, uh, you know, just looking through these pictures and all the other pictures that we didn't pick and just laughing and what was I thinking? And then she looked at the house and the state of chaos because there's so many pictures where the house is just whoosh. And she's like, oh, you're amazing. And I'm like, gee, thanks. But, you know, you know, I, and, wow. and so it's kind of a, a nice payoff now for all of that, you know, dealing with. And way back when, somewhere, I realized that I could have relative sanity, peace, or a clean house, but I could not have three. I could have two. I couldn't have three. Wow. Two was the best I could do. And I chose to let the house go because the other two just mattered more. And I don't regret it. The house is cleaner now. It's still not as clean as maybe I would like it as often as I would like it. But I can see it's evolving to a state of being cleaner. And eventually it will be my house and I can kind of keep it, you know, to the extent I want to keep it. But right now it's not my house. It's our house. So we will all share it and uh, as it is. But the fact that we see each other here, you know, we really see each other and we get along with each other. My kids don't just, my kids, my, my offspring, you <laughs> not see me just as mom. They know who I am. Uh, they know I'm kind of a freak for Enterprise and Vulcans and things like that. And uh, they know that I need my coffee if I'm going to be okay in the morning. Uh, but they know, you know lots of different things about me and who I am and what I like. And I know things about them that are translating as they grow older. And I just, I see our friendships shifting and, you know, Real, real friendships, not the friendship where I'm trying to be their buddy, buddy, but friendships where if I say to them, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. They know there's not an agenda behind it. That's just me saying, hey, I'm looking out for you and or don't do that. You know, and, and if anybody thinks that unschooling means you can't say, hey, cut that out, they're wrong. Because sometimes, you know, what you're doing is getting in the way of what somebody else has the right to do. And you need to stop doing that. And uh, so being able to say that and not have it be a power struggle, but just a, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> um, yeah, that it's you know, like you're saying that it's not a judgment about the person. It's about the thing. And, right. you know, like, then you just like, have a conversation it. about the thing. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and being able to do that and looking toward the future that I can see, it's just so cool because... You know, I like I said, I have been estranged from my parents for nine years. When my sister called to tell me that my mother was dying, I didn't go. Uh, and I didn't go because the last time I had seen her previously to that, she basically said two words to me, you, off, because I was standing on her deck stairs to take some things Maya was trying to hand to me. And I kind of pretty much figured that was her attitude, that she wouldn't want me there. 
And if she did want me there, it would be for a more emotionally manipulative reason. And also, I felt like if I went, I would be walking into an emotional ambush, uh, which is very, very common with my family. So, you know, being able to unschool is also giving me a great understanding of the family dynamic I came from. And that's very useful because I have been able to step away and it doesn't really matter what I'm being thought of as because I know who I am and I know why I've made the choices that I've made. And I know I've made them because I am a better person when I don't engage in those dynamics. I'm a better human. I was a better wife. I'm a better mother. It's just better. I'm a better me for me when I'm not engaged in that. So, you know, being able to stand up and say, this is what I need. I see what you need. Let's try to work a situation where we can all get what we need and, and get what we want. You know, that that's a huge thing about unschooling. It's just the, the being able to see the possibilities and trying not to, you know, and especially today, because how we're living today with the administration we're living with and the divisiveness that's going on everywhere, I think there's a huge value to being able to say, I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to call you a name. I'm not going to try to change your mind, but I am not going to, you know, accept being called names or being just labeled as something because I have my own opinion. I can respectfully accept that we're not going to agree and we can do that with civility the way you would do it in your own home and try to work out a situation where instead of there being us versus them or somebody has to win and somebody has to lose, how about trying to work it out so everybody can win as much as possible? And, you know, that is like a huge thing for me that has come from unschooling is moving from that mindset because I was definitely raised with an us versus them, you know, somebody's a winner, somebody's a loser kind of a mindset. And I think I was kind of set up to be a loser <laughs> a lot of the time. And that left me with kind of a, a feeling like with my own kids, like I needed to win. And being able to make it so we all get to win, it's kind of funny that every time they win, I win. You know, the little girl that I was wins something, and I get to see, like, my daughter looks remarkably like my mother if my mother had been happy. You know, there's a few pictures where my mother was happy. She has so many of my mother's expressions and, and, you know, just little mannerisms. And she doesn't like to hear that because she wasn't especially fond of my mother. But, you know, it, it's kind of like I wrote a poem many years ago that if I could have been my mother's mother, how I would have made things different for her, which would have made them different for me, which would have made them different for my children much earlier. And being able to parent Lise has kind of been a little bit like being able to parent my mother symbolically. And I'm big about symbolism. It's like a, a big thing in my writing. It's a big thing in my life. I, I really like symbolism. So that, that kind of, you know, a generation removed, being able to do that feels like a kind of healing. So I really like the healing. And I like knowing that I am going to be giving the world to adults who are reasonably whole. I've made a huge point of helping them learn conflict resolution because I had none of that when I grew up. I mean, none. There was absolutely zero of that. And I grew into adulthood with no ability to resolve a conflict. And I still would much rather avoid any kind of a conflict than I would rather face it head on myself. 
but I wanted them to have those skills, both because, you know, if you have two kids and they're fighting with each other, it's nice if they can learn how to get past that. And now I have a son and a daughter who are best friends. They are so close. They, I mean, they've always been close, but they have the skills now to be able to resolve. They hardly ever argue, but when they do, they, they have skills to deal with that. And that becomes handy too, because like sometimes if Lisa and I are having a moment where we're friction, there's friction, Maya might step in and say, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear what you think you heard. And, and that's really cool. That's very useful because now you have like, you know, somebody can moderate. If there's a disagreement, the person who's not in it can kind of help moderate it. And that's a really neat thing. So in, in so many ways, it's kind of like all coalescing into, wow, this is just such a cool life. And I'm so looking forward to seeing where it's going to go. And it's been so much better, the hard times, and so much more fun when it was fun. And even the hard times have had fun moments in them. You know, when uh, Jim was cremated, Maya and I were out shopping the day the uh, funeral home brought his ashes. Lise was home alone because she didn't she didn't really want to go anywhere right after. So she was home and they came and they brought the ashes and they put them on the kitchen island. And so I came home and she said, well, here they are. And I'm like, well, what is dad doing on the kitchen island? And Maya piped up, well, where else would he be? Because Jim had a habit of putting things on every flat surface. He was a chef and he would come home and on occasion drop his jacket on the stove. I have no idea what he was thinking when he did that, but he would do that. And so when Maya said that, where else would he be? I'm like, oh, maybe the stove. He might have been on the stove. That could, that could have been a place where he'd be. And, and we just like, it was uh, not the kind of humor that most people would have appreciated. They might have thought it was intensely disrespectful. But to us, it's hysterical. And we have another running joke that years ago, before we had kids, Jim said to me one day, as we were walking into a grocery store, and there were cars parked in the fire lane, when I'm God, all cars parked in fire lanes will explode. And I'm like, when you're God? Am I going to be God's wife? That would kind of be a cool gig. I, I think <laughs> I could get And so we now have this running joke, every time we see a car in the fire lane, that he must not be God yet, because... The cars have not exploded. And as he was dying, we he had a life insurance policy, but he didn't know where the paperwork was. So it was a very big thing for me. I was very uncertain. I didn't have an income, and I had children that I needed to take care of. I was very worried about the paperwork, and we were trying to find it. And one day, uh, we're trying to find it. I have a drawer on the bed, and he reaches to the side of the drawer. It's not even in the drawer. And I'm like, do you know what you're looking for? And he said, yes, the paper's from God. And I said, okay, you really can't help me with this anymore. And he's like, yes, I can. I'm like, no, really, you can't. Uh, but so now it's kind of the running joke that he hasn't been promoted to godhood because he lost the papers from God. Hmm. <laughs> he does not have that. He doesn't have the paperwork he needs. He cannot ascend to godhood. So, you know, being able to make jokes about that and not, you know, anybody saying, well, that's disrespectful and that's horrible and, and why are you doing that? is another really cool thing for us because that really helps us to cope. Humor is a, a really, you know, for all of us, and for Jim too it was. When our, when our son died at 12 days old, you know, Jim had made a comment uh, when I was released from the hospital. He was brain injured at birth, and he was a stage above being brain dead. And so it took several days to really know this, and uh, 12 days before he passed away, but 
when Jim came to pick me up, he, we were waiting for the doctors to give us a report on our baby. And he said, well, we need to see these doctors to find out whether, you know, he's going to be okay or whether we need to buy him some asparagus to hang out with when we bring him home. And so that was kind of Jim's humor too, was that, you know, and, and it might have been horrible if he hadn't known me so well, but as it was, it was kind of the first time I had laughed in the three days since I had had this baby. And that was really, you know, that was really meaningful to me because it was an ability to start to come back to life mm-hmm. and, and focus on where we were. And that has been, you know, useful too after Jim's death to realize that, okay, we can, you know, continue to live. He would want us to be happy. There's no doubt in my mind that every time we would laugh, that would be a happy thing for him to know that we were, you know, getting a kick out of life because his motto was eat dessert first. And that was a thing, you know, when we were figuring out how to celebrate, uh, you know, or memorialize his, his, uh, 54th birthday came just over a month after he died. And so I asked the kids, do we want to do anything? If we do, what do we want to do? And we said, we should go to Friendly's and eat dessert first. So we went out to an ice cream place and we had our ice cream and then we had our meal. We let our waitress know what we were going to do and why we were going to do it. And we did the same thing at a local diner that Jim used to take the kids to last year. Uh, you know, last year. And I suspect we'll be doing the same thing this February because it's just, you know, it's a nice way to remember and when the first anniversary of his death came on January 12th this year, I also asked the kids, should we do something? What should we do? And these decided that we should go out for pastries because Jim used to take them to donuts. So we went to a local bakery that uh, had opened that Jim and I had meant to go to and never got to. And uh, we all ordered a pastry. And so the picture of a pastry toast is the first anniversary of Jim's death. That is all of us just toasting with our pastries in a goofy kind of way to say, wow, we got through this first year. And uh, it, it was it was helpful because it wasn't a big fancy thing. It was just a little thing. And so we've liked incorporating him into our lives in like little ways. Uh, we recently bought a Christmas ornament that is uh, a worm on a hook that says bite me. Uh, which is very much her uh, her kind of her attitude. But it's also that she said, Dad always used to bait my hook when we fished because it grossed me out. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it, it'll be like a private thing. And when she moves on in her life, she'll get to take that ornament with her and, and keep that for as long as she wants. And so we'd like to incorporate him in little, you know, little ways that are very lifelike and that fit into our lives rather than some big memorial that is, there and then over it's you know it's an ongoing mm-hmm. kind of of yes he's always a part of our lives and I, I think unschooling kind of makes that a lot more possible too to be able to laugh and and to be able to laugh and cry because as we're looking through the pictures last night you know it wasn't just laughter there was also you know at one point this is just like i missed that at one point she showed me a picture i had taken uh where he's just leaning laying down uh, on the grass, leaning on an, on one of his arms, and I snapped a picture of him smiling, and it was just such a beautiful moment when it happened, and such a beautiful picture, and every time I see that smile, I just want to reach in and grab him and pull him back out of that picture, so I can have that smile and have him back, But and, and so she's like, I miss dad, and we must have hugged about 15 times before she went to bed last night, because she just kept coming back for another hug, and so you know, being able to have both of those things and, and not, nobody feels bad if they're sad. Nobody feels bad if they're happy. 
And I don't know if without unschooling, that would be even remotely as easy. You know what I mean? To have that both things at once and not, you know, because dualities are so accepted, you know, rather than either or, it's just, you know, what if, what can we do? And, and I think that just makes it easier to feel both things and be okay with both things. Wow. I love that piece. I mean, I loved all that stories, but that really sums it up, doesn't it? The, that, that duality, it's not an, not an either or, and it, and it doesn't need to be an either or it's the things that are meaningful to you. And, and as you were talking about, like the, the things that you guys are doing to celebrate Jim's life and Jim being in your lives are things that are meaningful to you versus, you know, things how they look from the outside. Right. Oh, yeah. You know I, I don't mean? really care much about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's an issue because Jim has two sisters and they live in Oregon. And uh, his father passed away over the summer, the day after my mother, ironically enough. Uh, he passed away the, the very next day. And uh, both of his sisters keep saying to me that they can't believe it. They just can't believe it. They can't accept it. And that's very hard for me because when they do that, you know, I live with it every second. There's no way I can't accept it. I got a tattoo on my leg for my 50th birthday. Uh, it wouldn't surprise many people to know that it's a Vulcan word and in Vulcan script. Uh, but the word is Kate, which translates in English to what is, is, which is kind of how I try to live my life. That, you know, if it is, you can fight against it, but it doesn't change it. It still is. And you're just kind of wasting your energy rather than saying, okay, this is, now what? Uh, and, but I get that for them. He moved away from home uh, in Oregon and went to the Grand Canyon when he was in his early 20s. He lived at the Grand Canyon. He had been there 12 years when we met. Uh, we moved to Oregon for a few months, and then we went to Yellowstone, which had been a dream of his. And we worked at Yellowstone for several seasons and spent one winter in the Everglades and came back here after Maya was born, because as Jim said, it rains less in New York. I said, but you shovel more. And he hadn't really ever lived with a bunch of snow, so he didn't really get the the, the feeling until he'd been here a while. And then he's like, yeah, maybe. But he, didn't like <laughs> he was from the Willamette Valley, and it rains. So we ended up settling here because we felt like we should raise our children with at least one side of their heritage. And on the one hand, because his family was much saner than my family, it might have been better if we'd been in Oregon. But on the other hand, I might not have realized, you know, what my family situation was like had we not been here. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here. Jim's not here. I'm here. I'm, I live on the same road I grew up on from the time I was four and a half. And wow. I'm very connected. I can look out my window and see the green mountains of Vermont, just like I always could growing up. And that's very cool to me. You know, I walked this, I had a crush on a guy a mile up the road when I was a teenager. So I walked on this road a lot. <laughs> and so I still, I walk my dog. I'm still walking on the same road. Uh, we have a, a steep hill a bit up from us. And if you get to the top of that hill, you can just see this panorama that goes on forever of fields and mountains and trees and sky. And it is glorious. And there's the city of Schenectady, uh, Troy, you can see in the distance with its lights at night. And it's just, it's glorious and it's totally free. And when we had some real money issues after Jim had died, before the life insurance settled, I would drive up there and I'd slow down when we got to that point in the road. And I'd say, this is abundance and this is ours and it costs us nothing. 
And, you know, I don't know without unschooling either that I would be able to do that. And yeah. I would be able to look at that and appreciate that and say, no matter what is going wrong, this is still here. And I told Maya the other day, because he will slow down and stop there too, because he enjoys it as well when he's driving. I said, you know, wherever you live, I plan on staying here. So wherever you live, if you want, come back and take that in. It's yours anytime you want it. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a neat thing to know that there's this. Whatever else is there, this is here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that so much, Shan. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I thank really appreciate it. <laughs> it made me very nervous sighted, but I'm very happy I did it. <laughs> oh. oh, it was it was really fun and I really enjoyed I, I just love hearing other people's perspectives and, and their lives and the way unschooling weaves through it all. It really does it really is a life changing thing, isn't it? It becomes life. It just it is life. That's, I mean, it's kind of funny now that I, I often don't even really think of it as unschooling. It's yeah. just living. It's, it's living. It's the way we live and it's what is right for us. And if I had to explain it to somebody, it, I'd have to explain my entire life. Yeah. I'm not sure I could explain my entire life. I mean, I'll try, but I, I'm not good at explaining the whole thing because it keeps happening while I'm trying to explain it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> Uh, and before we go, where can people find you online? Okay, they okay. can find me. Uh, it's pretty simple. They can find me at shanjanaya.com. S H A N J E N I A H. <laughs> pretty Perfect. simple. And I haven't been there so much lately, but with the cold weather coming, I am hoping to be able to get back. <laughs> yes, yes it, that's it's kind of a hibernating season now, isn't it? And then that's great. Yes, I yes, will. I want to get prepared. <laughs> exactly. I will put the links in the show notes so anybody can connect with you through there if they're interested. And thank I want to say thank you. Yes, thank you again very much. <laughs> thank you. It's so, so much, much fun. fun. Well, have a have a great rest of the day. Have the dogs are tired now? Looks like they. Oh, they are. Well, they must be. <laughs> All right. All right, Jan. See you later. Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey, and be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.